On this episode of the Duke Tip Podcast, we're talking summer studies admissions. Hi, I'm Tracy. She's Katie. And he's Michael. We're all colleagues at Duke Tip, the talent identification program. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to challenging gifted students, inspiring them to take pride in their abilities, and fostering their educational, social, and emotional development. That's Duke Tip, and this is the Duke Tip Podcast. We talk about motivating academically talented students, following through on your passions, and learning to love learning. We'll talk to educators, guidance counselors, admissions officers, scientists, authors, artists, entrepreneurs, journalists, and anyone else who might have something to say to the parents and teachers of academically talented students and to the students themselves. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number seven of the Duke Tip Podcast. We're devoting this entire episode to one thing and one thing only, the admissions process for Duke Tip's Summer Studies program. For those of you not yet in the know, Summer Studies is a three-week residential program for academically talented 7th through 10th graders who have qualified with excellent scores on the ACT or SAT. For the tens of thousands of students who have attended since the 1980s, though, it seems to be a lot more than that. A lot of them call it life-changing or formative. We get incredible quotes every year from students and parents who are ready to come back summer after summer. Applications for the summer of 2018 open on January 22nd, and spots always fill up fast. So we thought it would be a good time to give you some tips on how to fill out the perfect summer studies application. Katie, Michael, how are you guys doing? Good. I'm doing well. Thanks, Tracy. Awesome. Uh, and I'm doing well as well. Excellent. Nobody ever asked me. I should ask myself. Tracy, how are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing really yeah, well. Yeah, but you did have that horrible flu going around, which has decimated all of the South. No, I didn't have it. I escaped. Oh, I like, I, yeah, the flu like no, glanced not. off of me. Host powers. Yeah, ex- exactly. I resisted. Um, and who better to dole out expert advice on how to apply to the summer studies program than a member of our admissions team? Hi. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about summer studies admissions in a few minutes. But first, a special Duke Tip summer studies program edition of Oh, You Know What I Learned? All I learned was we know nothing. And I learned it from watching you. Oh, you know what I learned. This is the segment in which we describe the single most fascinating thing we've each learned recently. For this special summer studies edition, though, we're going to change things up a little. Everyone here works for Duke Tip, so we might have a little inside intel on our educational programs. Katie, Michael, your mission, should you choose to accept it, what's the most interesting thing that you know about summer studies that parents and students might not know? Katie, you're up. Hmm. I'd have to say that they may not know that we actually unrolled our first summer program for summer studies in 1980. We had 151 students. Last year, we had over 4,500 students in summer studies. So that's a lot of growth over those years. Michael, what do you got? Uh, One of the questions I get a lot um, when I'm out working with people who want to work with us, they ask, you know, what we do for the rest of the year because we, quote unquote, only run those summer programs. Right. Well, in addition to our (laughs) academic year offerings that everyone on the podcast now knows about, um, the Educational Programs Division uh, actually spends a whole year getting ready for the remarkable experience that our students and therefore families are going to get for their three-week session in June or their three-week session in July. Um, and that's something that doesn't occur to most people, uh, thinking that it's all the magic just kind of comes together starting on, on June 11th or thereabouts. 
No, we benefit from having a, a cycle, but we have to get it up every year. Mm-hmm. From an admission standpoint, I think a lot of parents don't understand how many applications we do receive, especially on the first day alone. We get, on average, the past couple of years, about 3,000 applications for 8th and 10th grade registration from the first day alone, which results in about 500 students being placed on the wait list from day one. Wow. Yeah, it's intense around here. And you know mm-hmm. why that happens? Because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. Okay. I think we should take a deeper dive into summer studies admissions. So let's move on to tell me more. You look like you want to tell me something. Tell me something true. I have so much to learn from you. Tell me more. This is the part of the show where we delve into our guest area of expertise. At Duke Tip, we have a wonderful admissions team, and I want to just ask, what do you think is the number one most important thing that parents and students should keep in mind as they complete their summer studies application this year? Um, In particular, for day one applicants, that it is not time-stamped, so you don't have to get on as soon as it opens and fill out an application. That does not give you an advantage over someone else. We do our applications in daily batches, so that means that we date-stamp, not time-stamp. So anybody who applies the first day would be considered have an equal shot of placement because we process all of those applications at the exact same time in random order the following day. So there's you could apply at 9 a.m. or you could apply at 11.59 p.m. and you stand an equal chance of getting a placement. The other thing about that too is that I think some folks assume that if they got in last year there's like a preference mm-hmm. and so everyone's pretty equal on that day. Yes, right? we don't give anyone priority placement because to do that would be at the detriment of another group. So no Priority placements given to siblings, returners, scores, um, people who were previously waitlisted, alumni, children, nobody gets a priority placement. Obviously, when, when parents and families and students are applying to, to join summer studies, uh, essentially they're, they're choosing their courses mm-hmm. that they'd really like to take for that summer. Um, from from a, an educational programs perspective with more than 250 courses to choose from, mm-hmm. can, can you talk uh, from an admission standpoint as far as uh, course preferences and uh, what what course rankings that uh, students yes. and parents would be putting into their applications? So students can rank up to nine courses on their application, and those courses can be across multiple terms, across multiple sites. They will only see the courses for which they are qualified on the application. So if that's a common misconception, especially amongst seventh graders. Um, so you can rank up to nine. You would only be placed in one course if placed. If when your application is randomly processed, if each course that you have selected is full, you would be placed on the wait list. So your chances are dramatically improved if you rank more than one course. They are, but we always have, you know, we always encourage people not to rank anything for what they would not be willing to sit in a class for for three weeks, because that's a long time to be in a classroom for something you're not interested in. Um, We do always have, you know, families that will rank more and to increase their chances of getting in and then get into those classes. um, And that can cause an issue as well. So yes, you can rank more than one, but only rank the courses you're interested in and ranking one that does not increase your chances of getting that one course. It probably would actually increase your chances of being on the wait list. Hmm. I have to say at this point that I've talked to a lot of alumni and I heard over and over that not getting their first choice was actually turned out to be positive for them Mm -hmm. because it opened up the door to a whole mm -hmm. new subject that they did not realize they would like Mm -hmm. so much. So if you don't get your first choice, but you get in at all, be happy and go with the flow, I say. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the actual 
application season. Uh, tip, if, if you're a listener, you're not aware, we, we talk about seasons a lot uh, because mm-hmm. it's cyclical. We say this is the app season or this is the summer season or term season. Yeah. Seventh graders, let's yeah. talk about that group in particular. Well, you, you enter talent search in seventh grade and you have to take an above level test in order to qualify for summer studies. So that means either the ACT or the SAT. The problem is your child must test in time for the scores to come back and to let us know whether or not mm-hmm. they've scored high enough to qualify. And some things are out of TIPS control. We can't force the ACT and SAT to deliver the test scores in the six weeks they promise. They usually do. Um, this year, unfortunately, they eliminated the January SAT set test. One big misperception that parents have is that waiting to the last minute to take those above-level tests means their child will score higher. Mm-hmm. That, that's not true. As soon as you enroll, you should sign your child up for the above-level test. But um, as soon as we... Um, know that the uh, app season is upon us. We usually uh, let parents know at the 1st of December what programs your child qualifies for. And then when January comes and the programs start opening, we'll send out a heads up. It's going to open, you know, to keep your eyes out. And then we often remind people in various ways to fill out your financial aid application early. And then on January 22nd, you will get an opening day notice if your child qualifies for it. Uh, Can I interject something? Yes. Don't wait for that email, though. Yeah. I hear that all the time. Well, I never get the email, so I didn't apply. If you know your child qualifies and you know it opens January 22nd, don't wait for the email. That That's so true because what happens is we start sending out the email, but we're sending it out to tens of thousands mm-hmm. of students. So it physically takes our email service a while to get all those emails out. So it's fairly straightforward for 8th to 10th graders. They'll know that they qualify prior to January 22nd because most of them have qualified the prior year or even later. With 7th graders, it's a little bit different. Some of them are still testing. That's why we have a separate application open date for 7th graders. That's why that's in yes. March to give time for more 7th graders to qualify. And we do mail out letters notifying seventh graders if they qualify. That's a really fun letter to get. Sometimes your scores may come in too late to actually send you a letter. So it's always worth it to check the score tables on our website Mm -hmm. um, and to go ahead and apply if you know that your child has scored and does apply. Um, And another thing too is is you don't have to retest. So if you qualified as a seventh grader, then you don't have to test again each year. Those scores will carry you through throughout your duration at TIP. Um, so that's something too. We get questions about that every year. Do we have to retest? You do not. So I've, I've gotten my email. Um, I've gone in and I've, I've done my selection. I've done the right thing and picked more than one, mm-hmm. yes. uh, course. And then I hit submit. Then what happens? Okay. So after you hit submit, you'll get two things. And, and this is always, I always tell parents who think they submitted and they don't, you get two emails. You'll get one. That's a, a receipt of payment of an application fee because there is a non-refundable application fee due at the time of the application is submitted. That is the only thing that is charged. We are not charging you for the cost of the program or a deposit, and we don't keep your credit card number on file. We hear this often. So you pay the application fee, you hit submit, you will get a confirmation of submission and then a receipt of payment. Um, That confirmation submission will give you some information, but there is also an after you apply page on the website. So application instructions and then after you apply. And what happens then is that then we process the application the next business day. Um, and we'll randomly process you with everyone else who applied that same day. And then within two weeks of you submitting a completed application. So you've gotten your prereq in if it's required. You've gotten your financial aid in if you're applying for it. Um, we'll let you know of the decision, whether we were able to place you or whether you're on the wait list. Um, and then we go from there. So if you're placed, then you have a week to accept placement and pay your required deposit. 
And then you can start working on your follow-up forms. And all this is housed in the student portal, which we guide you to in your notification. Um, you can start working on your travel information, we your parental information, and then probably most importantly, your health profile, which we use a third-party secure vendor called CampDoc. Um, so they would link out to that, and CampDoc is amazing, and your the information is secure. We always hear that. Um, you start to fill that out and you take your time, but you have to get that all completed by the deadline. And that varies depending on your grade. Um, and then you also have to make full payment by that same deadline. So if I get um, a notification that I've been placed, that I can use that email to click back into the student portal yes, and that set email, placement mm-hmm. and then the, do all the follow-ups that you're talking yes, about? Yes, that email is very generic. And we do that for a reason because um, a lot of times if you didn't get it, you know, you want to know your information and that's the only place to re- to be. So we've included all of the information that typically would have been in there, like your placement notification or your, where you're placed, the, the term, the, the course, the site, financial aid, how much you owe, and that's all in the portal. So basically the email says, congratulations, you're placed, go here to find out your information. So what if I get a notice that I'm waitlisted? Being able to apply for a course does not, guarantee, does not mean current availability, that a course will remain open until it and its waitlist are both full. Um, so you could be applying for a course and it be full, but you'd be placed on the wait list. It, there is an FAQ to kind of give you an idea of what happened um, or why you're on the wait list. And, and it's always just because the courses that you listed are full at the time that your application is processed. There's no other reason that you would be on the wait list. Um, and that gives you just some general questions that we commonly get about that. And then you always have the right, and it does mention this in that notification as well, to contact admissions and ask if you, there's any alternate programs that we might have, courses that we might have availability in currently. Um, but one thing that's very important for people who are on the waitlist to understand is if you are on the waitlist and you ask for an alternate course and get placed in that course, you will no longer be on the waitlist for any other course. So you can't be placed in a course and then wait it out for your original first choice. Um, so you have to, that's one thing, you can't be placed and waitlisted at the same time. So you'd be forfeiting any spot on the waitlist that you would have. Can you be on more than one waitlist? Yes. Each course has its own waitlist. So if you list nine courses, then you're on nine waitlist. And that's one of the reasons we don't assign waitlist numbers, which is a common question we get, even though we do address it in the notification. We don't assign numbers because if that was the case, then your child would have nine different numbers. And it constantly changes because you cannot be on the waitlist and placed in a class at the same time then the waitlist constantly shuffles. So if you're on the waitlist with 15 kids and four of them are taken off for their fifth choice or their first choice, then they're going off at every other single waitlist so that your your spot would shift constantly. Um, and that is literally daily, hourly, minute, I mean, minute by minute, we are doing that and processing those and taking kids out and putting kids in. So we can't also give, what are we here? What are my chances? Well, there's no way for us to predict because it's based on cancellations and we can't predict who's canceling and out of what class um, and which if your child is going to be at because another thing is the wait list are determined they're in placement or application date order so the date that you applied and then within that date it's random so there's not well I applied on January 22nd what number am I on that it's random within that day so there's no telling of who applied that day would get that spot. So I mean I think one of the things that I've always taken away from the summer studies process is that getting a waitlist notification is not a bad thing. I mean, it's not some, it just, I mean, you know, if you get, I mean, that's not what I hear, but (laughs) yeah, but it's like, if I I get a notice on, you know, if I applied day one in particular Mm -hmm. and I get a waitlist notice, there's still a good chance. There's still a really good chance. Yeah. A lot of kids get placed off the waitlist every year. Still a really good chance. I mean, kids on the waitlist do stand a chance, especially if you do apply that first day. Um, and it also just depends a lot of times on 
What class? A lot of it is just a combination of things. Of so it, it could be the site, the course, um, the grade levels. It just depends. I mean, you have more of a return of loyalty amongst 8th and through 10th graders to certain sites, so they don't care if they're taking basket weaving as long as they're there. Or you have some who are very committed to certain areas of study. Mm -hmm. So it just depends. I wouldn't say humanities courses are less popular. They are just as popular. Um, it's just that maybe that it's offered at a site that they won't, they don't want to go to. Right. They want to go somewhere else. Right. So it just depends. It's all personal preference for these students. Mm -hmm. Well, can I put a plug in for the Rice Campus? There isn't as much site loyalty. Uh, so if your child is really dying to take some humanities courses, Rice is a good option. Well, it's not just Rice. Uh, humanities, social science is huge at, at Rice. There's a lot of political science type study there and, and policy study there because mm -hmm. they have a huge, the Baker School is huge there. So a lot of people miss that opportunity. And we have a ton of kids in Texas. Mm -hmm. So it would be a great fit for a lot of kids. It would. Um, once they get over the I have to go to Duke mentality in some ways, Rice is an excellent option. A lot of people call Rice the Duke of the it's, Deep it's, South. It's, and that's absolutely huge. true. That is true. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a question, too, about the first day yeah. application. Um, I, we urge people to download and fill out the financial aid application in advance. And yes. it's up now for this season. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently, whether or not you apply for financial aid does not affect your chance of being placed, correct? That is correct. That is correct. Now, one thing that is important to understand, though, is that if you list on your program application, which is the application you can complete online, and indicate that you are applying for financial aid, that application cannot be considered for placement until you do submit a financial aid. So if you have not submitted it prior to registration, then you would need to submit it as soon as possible in order to be able to have a complete package to be considered for placement. Yeah, I think a lot of people get sort of confused about what it means to have a complete application. It's something that we talk about here at mm -hmm. TIP because we we understand that incomplete means we can't really touch it, right? Like it, we can't partially process you. And if you don't have everything mm -hmm. in, it, it puts our admissions team in a position where we're waiting. And summer studies is one of those things you really don't want to wait yeah. on. You can't. You can't wait a lot of times because it is so fast and furious with the filling of it. I mean, that we try to be as communicative as we can be about that, and we are clear and concise with our messaging that that has to be done. If you are applying for financial aid, you need to get that in. If you're applying for a course that requires a prerequisite, you need to get that in um, because we can't proceed without those things. And we also always have a population of students or parents who will send in a financial aid application and then not a program application, and we'll hear feedback. Well, we were waiting to see if we were going to get aid. Well, that's not how it works either. So understanding the kind of the chain of, program and financial aid application together, then you can be considered for placement. And if you're placed, that's when we would review your financial aid. And I understand that when you get the email saying you have been accepted and are being placed, you also get the, the amount of your financial aid so that you can make an informed decision about whether to accept placement. Is that correct? Yes. That's not in the notification itself. That is on the student portal. We direct you there to find it. But yes, we inform you of how much aid you receive and we give you a week to either accept or decline your placement. Um, you also have to pay a deposit at the time of acceptance. And um, how, how much, just really quickly, because I don't know if we say this number enough, how much financial aid do we give? We gave out over $4 million last year total amongst all of our yeah. programs. We gave over $4 million, but for summer studies itself, over 900 families receive financial aid, and the awards range from $300 to $3,900. So it's, it's pretty generous. However, it's a finite amount, and that is another reason to get your application yes. in on opening mm -hmm. day. You yeah. are more likely to... We can run out. That will happen. That is correct. Mm -hmm. 
So then once you've got those deposits, then what comes next? Then the program fee is due by the, the deadline set forth for your, your grade. So I, I'm wondering if we can talk about, um, for the families who might be listening who've never applied for summer, mm-hmm. like they're just getting ready for it. If they were sitting right here, uh, ground zero, what's the process for them? Like, What should they be do- doing or thinking about now yeah. and before yeah. they get going? Well, one thing is excellent is definitely our website. So they should check that out and look at the admissions instructions because or application instructions because it's step-by-step. So the first thing is they need to know what their TIP ID number is. Um, And then they need to know for what they're qualified because what they can start doing now is having going with their child and looking at the classes and seeing what's interesting because, as we know, parents are the ones who apply. And so often we hear they just rush and they want to change their application because they didn't talk to their child prior to applying. So talk to your child, go over what's available, pick out as many courses up to nine that they would be interested in, get those ready. Um, and then on the day that registration opens, log in and, and submit an application anytime that day and make sure that they rank the courses in the order that their child would prefer them. So just right now, just making sure that they have those basics, the tip ID number, have an account that they need to log into. So if they don't have one, they can go ahead and create one now. Um, if they do have one, making sure they know the password and getting into it and then come the 22nd, they should have everything they need. So for that family that's uh, looking now for what they can do to get ready, how do they figure out their tip ID and how do they get an account? Where do they go on the website? Um, So what they can do is first to find your tip ID number is do go to the application instructions on the summer studies page. There are some tools there that are available for them to find out what their tip ID number is. There's a tip ID lookup tool that they can use. Um, For students who are wanting or parents who want to create that account, they just go to um, apply.tip.duke.edu and that should lead them to the login page so they have they can there's a new user link they can click on that or they can log in with whatever that information they have or they can find the information that they don't have so their password if they need to reset it so it sounds like really just getting familiar with the online mm-hmm. application site that you can't what you can see even though the online application is not available go ahead and get get your account do your sort of housekeeping and then mm-hmm. also make sure you're actually talking to your your student about what they're interested in because yes. i mean that is something that you'll occasionally you know i'll hear it in my area in the online programs i think we hear it every year that there's a student who just isn't didn't make that choice you know their parent put them in a course that they weren't super thrilled about Mm -hmm. or we hear people who want to withdraw and we you know sometimes you'll hear from the student or sometimes you'll hear from the parent who's now feeling guilty and so it's one of those things where i really i do want to encourage people to be having those conversations now because you can make some make some pretty informed pre-decisions you don't know what you're going to get placed in if you're going to get accepted every year but you can look at the course choices yeah Mm -hmm. you don't want to place a child who doesn't want to be there in a class because that spot could go to someone who's dying to be there yeah Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and the classes all have great discussions highly interactive and it's really great to have students there that all want to be there and also just uh, think about the experience in maybe a more holistic way you know like there's going to be a lot that a student like you said katie can get out of a course that maybe is their second or third choice Mm -hmm. right and and to really think about the experience beyond just a certain topic or a certain um, academic t- uh, goal that they're looking for. And that sort of raises the issue of the residential side, which which is as beneficial to the child can be as the academic side. Mm-hmm. And the residential side is pretty standard across the sites. So no matter where you decide to go and which site you pick, you can be assured that your child's going to be in a very supportive community with a lot of great traditions and a peer group. That's also very supportive. 
right? And, and we, we do a very good job in the education programs team of having a very intentional programming model um, mm-hmm. that, that's actually been developed uh, with, based on, on research and our own findings um, as far as uh, developing the rest of who the student is um, beyond just the, the person who scored well on that test. One thing I wanted to ask about uh, was about maybe some common misunderstandings. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you want to approach those as misunderstandings from new families and students or even returning or if they're the same because, it's you know, the same it's the, the same list. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, there are a lot of assumptions, but the, the, the biggest is that we timestamp. So if you apply at nine, then you're guaranteed to get in. I hear that every year. I applied at 9 a.m. How did I get on the wait list? Um, other assumptions would be that if they were a returner, they were going to get a spot. Mm-hmm. If they were a fourth year, they were going to get a spot. If they're, So that there is some sort of priority placement with that. And I talk to parents a lot of times when they call me and they're in tears and they're upset and their child's upset because this is their last year or they're returning and they got placed on the wait list. And... 98% of the time it's because they made lifelong connections with some of the, their friends and they've all made a pack to go back to the certain site during the certain term and take certain classes and live certain, you know, RC groups and they're heartbroken because they're the one of all of them that didn't get in. And I do, I do sympathize with that. I do. I understand that that is a hard thing. Um, but we are also held to our policies and our procedures that we have to honor because we, I mean, to be consistent is to be fair. Mm-hmm. So we can't um, give that party to those people. But I do understand for these kids, it's the first time that they've ever been around, or a lot of times the first time they've ever been around peers, not just other students, but peers who are like them, who have similar interests. They're not the awkward child anymore, the, you know, the small fish in the big pond. They're the big fish in the you know smaller pond now. So they're, they're amongst people who have the same interest. I always talk about the time I was in the dining hall and sitting at a booth together there was a group of about five kids and every single one of them had their rubik's cubes and they were just going to town putting them together and (laughs) and doing challenges and i kept thinking huh either one they knew each other previously and they all made that arrangement to bring those rubik's cubes or two they found people like them here Mm -hmm. and so i see i understand how important it is to these families to come again and that's why we wish we could let everyone in but we do have the constraints and unfortunately we can't I think it can be difficult for a younger person to understand that that kind of camaraderie and feeling of belonging and being able to be yourself, that doesn't happen spontaneously because of the specific group of kids and the year. It happens year after year at year tip because we work really hard to create that kind of environment. Um, there's not a site that doesn't end up in lifelong friendships mm-hmm. and this incredible That's feeling of belonging. They all have that. You know, and I think another... I don't know if this is a misconception, but maybe we could just sort of talk about our philosophy and, and because I know a lot of families, um, will ask, well, you know, there's this wait list. We know that it's, it's not, you know, a given that a student who applies will be able to be placed in summer studies. And I think some people have this frustration because they, they want us to be able to accommodate all oh, of the oh, demand. Absolutely. Right. And there's lots mm-hmm. of reasons for that. But I, you know, what I come back to having worked a tip, um, for I guess almost seven years now, what I come back to is that if we are going to be able to offer a consistent, high quality, holistic, you know, well-rounded approach in a supportive environment for students, we actually need to be able to do that at a scale that, that can be applied every year for mm-hmm. every kid year over year. And if we if we didn't prioritize those things, maybe we could become the program that accommodates all the interests, mm-hmm. but that's not who we are philosophically and also just for our goals, right? That's well, a common thing that I hear is that, well, can't you just 
add another course or another class? Or are you going to expand because you do have a wait list? And it's, I had tried to explain it. It's not that easy. I mean, we are contractually obligated for certain sites. Even Duke, they don't understand that we don't have free reign running around Duke. We have contracts with sites and with instructors to have limitations on classroom size, to have limitations on the classes that we can offer and the amount of students that we can house. So we, it's not as easy as some would think, too, just to open up the gates, as you were saying. It's not just a quality thing, but it's also just a logistical thing. We don't have that ability to just tell UGA, hey, we're coming in and we're bringing 400 of our closest friends. We have to you know, stay within their guidelines and what they, they require of us as well. And we do expand. We expand responsibly, we expand, right? Yes, but but we, not, in the, not in the last minute. We expand right. thoughtfully and responsibly for a future you know, summer. We don't expand. Okay, well, we have a wait list of 15 for this. Let's just pop open another class and accommodate right. them. We can't do that. That's right. I, and we have long put quality program above quantity. But to achieve quality, there's so many factors you have to look at. Mm -hmm. It has to be a campus that's um, compatible with whatever the course is. Sometimes the course requires laboratory facilities that mm -hmm. have to be available yep. to us. You have to find an instructor who is an expert in it. I mean, there's a lot that goes in to a course. So obviously, we can't just simply add courses at the last minute to accommodate. I really, Yeah. I, actually, can we talk a little bit about selecting a site? Maybe, Michael, you can help with that. Because I think site selection is something that is, I can't imagine that if you haven't done that or you haven't worked in sort of camp or residential that you understand all of the variables that have to go into selecting a new physical site mm -hmm. um, because you do you have to look at facilities for sure but you also have to look at safety concerns and michael i don't know if you want to jump mm -hmm. in about all the different variables we have to yeah, keep housing in mind quality yeah well first thing i think the first thing we look at though is the geographic location because we do listen to our families yes. and we re recently opened up a site at lsu louisiana mm -hmm. state university because of so much demand there and in texas we're going to go to Belmont for one of our younger programs in Tennessee because of so many families there. So first we try to be near our families, I'd say. Yeah, I, I would say that, that access in, in a lot of different ways. We could talk about access as, as, a, as a key indicator to what would make a great site. Um, and if we're going to focus specifically on summer studies. Um, uh, Katie, you already hit on a couple of these things. Access um, to uh, easy travel. Um, so airport access, uh, driving access, uh, reasonable drive, uh, so that you don't have to turn it into a family vacation that takes the better part of a month just to get there. Um, and then once, once our staff and our students are on site, the access that we can be afforded by our hosts, um, even here at Duke, we are uh, being hosted mm -hmm. by our university. Um, so, uh, what classrooms do we have access to? Um, can we get into those great cutting edge labs, um, and even get, uh, guest speakers and support from the academic side of that, of that host university? Um, and then, uh, one of the other things that, that I think might not occur to people who don't have students of a college age or might not work at the post-secondary, um, education level, um, these universities, you know, have to run their primary business for technically the whole year, yep. which means the residence halls where our students um, are residing, um, they need to get reset before we get, even get into them. Um, they need to get reset for the students to come back in when we're going to be wrapping up. Um, so at, at some of our uh, some of our host campuses, you know, they, they need a lot of time because that's a lot of space that they're able to mm -hmm. offer us. Um, knowing that we can make it a safe, supportive environment for all of our students all the time. 
And on that note, um, I think we should give a big round of applause to the Duke Tip Admissions team, to our guests today, uh, because we they process so many uh, applications, they answer so many questions, they work with so many families, new families, walking them through this process. And I really, I think that they they deserve the applause, particularly because we won't see them for what another two six months? months, six no, months, six months. You won't six see months. Us till July. We won't. We'll see. We'll just see mm-hmm. their tops of their heads as they're working through applications <laughs> and, and forms. So round of applause. Thank you. Woo! I want to thank you. Thank you. And thank you also to our families who come back year over year um, and really dedicate uh, the time to, mm-hmm. to get and this experience and spread the word. And trust for their, us with their beautiful and, children. And trust us mm-hmm. with their kids. Um, so I think we should move on to our last segment. We call this Failure is Instructive. Failure is growth. Failure is learning. Failure is one option. In this segment, we remember that it's okay to fail. As the philosopher John Dewey wrote, failure is not mere failure, it is instructive. The person who really thinks learns quite as much from his failures as from his successes. Michael, Katie, what have you learned from your failures this month? Well, exciting news for everyone at home. Um, This month, my failure does not have to involve uh, smoking meat. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. If if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have several podcasts to catch up on. We've taken steps forward. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see about that when I finish this part of the story. Um, so with the holiday season having uh, recently wrapped up, um, I was able to do some traveling to visit some out-of-state relatives. Um, some of these out-of-state relatives uh, live along the I-95 corridor. For those of you who have never gotten the joy of experiencing that, um, it is teeming with humanity, all of whom seem to be heck-bent on getting where they need to be with utter disregard for where anyone else might need to be in the next three hours. Um, uh, so on, on the return leg of this trip, um, the option of taking a more scenic route down the coast and exploring the wonderful Atlantic seaboard of the Delmarva Peninsula and uh, all the way down to uh, the Hampton Roads area of Virginia and things like that w- was proffered. And I uh, said, no, no, we will travel more efficiently. We will get back on our fine interstate system. Um, so nine hours later, oh, no. um, sitting just outside of Quantico, Virginia, and getting a wonderful view of um, the prison. There's a prison there on those back roads, Lampoc or something. Well, like that. I, we 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 were we were on the main road, so yeah. we got to see the Marine Corps Museum from the, from the interstate and things like that. Um, but so my failure to realize the opportunity that had been presented to me in exploring via Chesapeake, uh, via the Bay Bridge and things like that, um, I think got me reflecting on uh, better to be moving slowly the whole time and getting to see things than staring at the same four license plates for most of an entire day. I am so with you on that. I'm just really glad that you used the word proffered. (laughs) Thank you. That's really, that's like carrying me through. I got distracted actually listening to your story because I started thinking about proffering things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, mm-hmm. Katie, what do you You can also have? proffer smoked meat if we need to bring that up. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> oh, my. I think what I learned about failure this past month or so is that uh, you cannot run from your failures, so you may as well embrace them. And I learned especially that. Especially not on I 95. Yes, especially you can't run or move on I 95. Uh, but I learned that in a very literal way. A few weeks ago, I was at a um, 
without hearing a band play. They were playing R&B and soul, my very f- favorite kind of music. Fabulous lead singer. Everybody's up and dancing. But unfortunately, he was very keen on having the audience sing along with his microphone, and he knew me. So he kept kind of like coming toward me and looking at me, and I kept running across the dance floor trying to avoid him. I'm sure everybody thought I was doing an interpretive dance or something that covered the entire dance floor. And it was over. I thought to myself, okay, I love dancing. I take it very seriously. And I didn't have a great time because I was always trying to avoid that stupid microphone. So I decided, henceforth, I'm going to embrace the fact that I'm a terrible singer, not worry about it, because I think trying to be perfect is way worse than failing occasionally now and then. It's a lot less stress. So you know what, world? I'm a horrible singer, and I'm proud of it. And you can't correct a note that you don't sing, yeah. right? Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm just happy that Katie has never run from any of these microphones. That makes, <laughs> that makes me happy. Um, so I, my failure um, is around um, thinking that I can wing it in the kitchen. Mm. So... I have a friend who is an excellent cook. She's amazing. And when I go to her house, I'm always just like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And she learned from her mother. Um, and she she just resists, sort of really rejects is the better word, most recipes. So I send her recipes and she's like, eh. And she'll, she wings it and she says, oh, I just, I just winged it. And she always says this and she does. And the recipes still turn out fantastic. So I was telling her about some of the recipes I tried over the holidays. And then uh, we sort of, uh, we had some ice here. And so uh, my grocery shopping game went off. And so I was trying to figure out what I could do with what was already in the fridge. Um, like the worst episode of Chopped ever. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I can do this. The people in Chopped can do this. My friend can wing it. I can wing it. And so I tried tried to, to wing it um, with, uh, you know, I, I got inspired by the image of a dish and I thought, well, I can kind of do that. I have the idea of the thing. Visualize and it was like a, attack. yeah, it was like a visual mm-hmm. inspiration. It was dish, dish inspiration, dish spo. And it was like a shrimp sort of rice, one pan bake thing. And I was like, I could, that sounds really easy. One pan, all that phrase instills confidence, you know? And then uh, so I, I, I kind of winged it and I put it together and I used frozen cauliflower rice because it was a cauliflower rice recipe. And I was like, frozen, that's great. I pre-cooked it in the pan, which you're supposed to do. And then I was like, I'll cook it so that it's like soft and then I'll put and I'll bake it. So I did all of this and my dish came out looking pretty good. The shrimp tasted pretty good. Cauliflower rice was crunchy. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think a lot of people would think cauliflower rice is kind of crunchy. It in is the other way, anyway. It is. But this was like this was what, like what, undercooked. Rice is not good enough for you. Yeah, this is. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it it was it was crunchy and not in the good way. No, it was okay. like I had undercooked it in the pan, yeah. and I just said, you know what? I am not a winging it person. I yeah. I really admire those people who can just wing a recipe and they just know how yeah. things work and they're so good with sort of the chemistry of cooking that they can make things up on the fly. I'm yeah. not that person, so I'm just. Hey, Let's give our cooking uh, failures in two words only. Mine are fish and roses, lime juice. Mm. Katie, that was not two words. Fish, roses, lime juice. Still, still not two words. Oh shoot, you're right. Uh, by the way, I scored very highly on my verbal part of my standardized test. My o- overusing it doesn't count. <laughs> my, I have a four-word failure, a phrase actually that I came up with in college with a friend of mine. It's called meat on meat crime. <laughs> It's whenever I make a dish and we say whenever three or more are gathered. (laughs) 
tofurkey. It no. is meat on meat crime. And so I go, whenever I go to restaurants and my husband orders something, I'm like, that is meat on meat crime. You know what you're doing. And he tries to say, well, no, no, no. It's if it's all seafoods, mm-hmm. then it's not. No, it is meat on meat crime. So, so turducken is like film number yes, one for you. It is. Or? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. If you wow. go, yeah. Can't My do vegan that. daughter is recoiling at this segment. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Duke Tip Podcast. To our listeners out there, if you have any follow-up questions for admissions, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at admissions at tip.duke.edu. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. Visit tip.duke.edu to learn all about Duke Tips programs and how you can get involved. Thanks and bye-bye.